Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Praying For and Against the Enemies of God. So over the last year and a half, couple of years, we've had many people ask, uh, you know, we should be praying for our enemies. Uh, but it also, there, there's some questions about what about praying against our enemies? And I think, Aaron, you've mentioned that a couple of times in sermons, maybe even in podcasts. And so we thought today would be a good time to, to deal with that. And so, Aaron, can you maybe just talk about the imprecatory Psalms or even why are we having this discussion? Well, I think a lot of people are wrestling with this. So as we see various laws, various actions from government officials that fly in the face of God's law and God's word and frankly bring damage to other people. And as Christians themselves experience persecution and trying times, the question is, how do how do we as Christians respond to our enemies? And so we have this tension in scripture. On one hand, we have Jesus calling us to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. And then we also have examples in scripture where godly people are sort of calling down God's judgment, God's wrath, God's curses, if you will, upon evildoers. So some would suggest this is even a mistake in scripture yep. or that somehow in the old days, they sort of got it wrong in Psalms like Psalm 69, which is an imprecatory Psalm ended up in the Psalter, but it shouldn't be there today because we're now more enlightened. Christ has called us to love our enemies. So there, this question is both a practical question, like how do I actually pray toward my enemies, God's enemies? And then the second one is sort of almost an apologetic question of is there a, a contradiction in scripture? Like which is it? Do we do we love our enemies? Do we pray for their well-being, for their forgiveness, or do we pray that God would would wipe them out? Because both of these kinds of statements are found uh, in the word of God. So that's why I wanted to address this. It's it's sort of an apologetic question, but it's also a very practical question about our prayer lives and our general posture as Christians towards evildoers. Mm -hmm. So this idea of love versus curse your enemies, uh, we want to just dive into that. Is that actually a biblical con contradiction? Because we know there are scriptures that do call us to pray for our enemies. Uh, you think of Matthew 5. Um, and there are scriptures where enemies are being prayed against, as you shared from the imprecatory Psalms uh, and some of those. So we can see it, we can seem like scripture is contradicting itself. And we just want to, I think our listeners would be helped greatly by, is this, how do we address this concern? Is this an error in scripture? Is this uh, something that, as you mentioned, has been updated? Obviously we we're going to probably say no, <laughs> but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, what I want to do is I want to just look at some some scriptural references so that the listeners know we're grounding our remarks in the Word of God. So I want to do a little bit of exposition here of, of some relevant biblical texts, and we're going to start in the Gospels. I want to look at Matthew chapter 5, and what's taught in Matthew chapter 5 is also taught in Luke chapter 6. And there Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your 
neighbor and hate your enemy. But so in contradiction to what you've heard, which is hate your hate your enemies, love your neighbor, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And then he talks here about how God makes, you know, the the, the rain it rains in the just and the unjust. Then in verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. So we have Jesus clearly, 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 it's not difficult to interpret, calling us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So very, very important for us to understand. When when the word persecution is mentioned in Scripture, it is when we take a stand for our faith in Christ and we receive blows, punches, hits, fines, death threats, whatever it be, might be from the world. This is the kind of posture we're supposed to adopt. So this isn't, I guess one way of putting it is, it's not, if you happen to be a jerk, a nasty person, unethical in business practice, or just, just all around not a nice person, and people don't like you for it, and they're sort of picking on you, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not being persecuted. People are treating you poorly because you treat people poorly. So that's not what persecution is. Persecution is when you've taken a stand for Christ, mm-hmm. and people are attacking you in some way, shape, or form. That's the context here. So it's a spiritual context. When you take a stand for Christ and people come after you for it, you are to pray for and love your enemies. Now, this is Matthew chapter 5. Also in Matthew chapter 5, we have a similar kind of teaching in verses 38 to 40. So this comes before the passage I just read. And many people know this. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So that's sort of this whole justice, lex talionis type theology. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So what's going on there? Some some Christians have interpreted this as a carte blanche theology of pacifism. So whenever a person is attacked, even a country is attacked in war, someone's trying to take your life, someone's trying to kill you, someone's trying to steal your children, you just sort of get on one knee and pray and let it happen. That's that radical pacifism that some Christian Christians have adopted over the centuries. But that's not what's being talked about there. This is Both these passages are about personal offenses. They're not suggesting that there's never a time to defend another person from attack or to allow rampant injustices to wreak havoc on society. Being slapped is not about being beat up. It's a personal offense to be to be slapped. I mean, there's some there might be some pain attached to that, but it's not going to damage your body. If someone comes up and they start like punching you repeatedly in the face and break face, breaking your nose, breaking your teeth, and you're thinking, well, Jesus just says turn the other cheek, so I'll just let him have at it. That's not what's going on here. And in the same way, when the scripture is talking about individuals praying for and loving their enemies because they're being persecuted, these are these are our this is our posture. This is our 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 loving, gracious, forgiving posture 
towards those that are attacking us or taking advantage of us or offending us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we affirm these scriptures are true. I mean, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. So everything in scripture, the scriptures I just read, are profitable for teaching, rebuke, rebuke, correction, and for training in righteousness. And the imprecatory psalms are profitable for rebuke, for, for teaching, for correction, and training in righteousness. But these particular passages in the Gospels, again, are, are, are meant to help us to form an individual ethic in the context of being persecuted by unbelievers. This is not equal to letting someone kill you. It's not equal to walking away if you see someone being beaten to death on the side of the road. Well, can you imagine, you know, you're walking on the road, someone's being beat on, raped, shot, and you're like, well, good luck, turn the other cheek. You know, make sure make sure you turn over so they can you know kick you in the other side of your face. That's 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 that would be a ridiculous understanding of Jesus' words here. This is about being persecuted for the for for your faith. When when we are persecuted for our faith, we show love. We see this in Christ. Christ prayed for his enemies even on the cross. Remember when he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Jesus is praying for forgiveness for his enemies while he's being abused. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, at the same time, Christ confronted lies. So in Matthew 23, listen to these rather harsh words from Christ directed towards evildoers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He calls them serpents. He calls them a name. He says, this is in verse 33 of, of Matthew 23. You serpents, you brood of vipers. And let me just kind of underscore this next statement. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? That's what Jesus says to them. And he talks about sending the, the scribes, the prophets, who they kill and persecute. And then verse 35, he says, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah and so forth. So Jesus is essentially pronouncing judgment upon people. So both at the same time, we have Christ and the cross calling upon the Father to forgive those that are crucifying him. And we have at the same time, the same Christ warning evildoers of hellfire, calling them names, and placing upon them judgment for the crimes they have committed against righteous, innocent men of God who did the right thing and stood for truth. So this is a both-and thing. We are both and called to pray for and love our enemies when we're being persecuted, but at the same time to call for God to judge and to deal harshly with those that stand opposed to the things of God. So this is in the, you know, we're just in the New Testament. We haven't even looked mm -hmm. at the Old Testament scriptures, but this this is just directly from the gospel of, of Matthew. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned Jesus, one of the things that comes to my mind, a lot of people will talk about Jesus and be like Jesus, be like Jesus, uh, which I understand on a certain level is true. Um, however, and we may have talked about this before, I can't remember, but in one sense, Jesus had a distinct mission and purpose yeah. 
right? So Jesus on the cross, going to the cross was the plan of God. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a, a time, obviously, there's sometimes when Jesus slipped away from the crowds, it wasn't yet his time yeah. and times when he did. Um, it's interesting though, that a lot of people that will say, be like Jesus also have a house and Jesus didn't have a house. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of interesting, right? Um, house, a spouse, a spouse, cars, <laughs> kids, whatever. Right. So, um, we like to take the parts that are maybe just, yeah, certain parts. So we should probably talk about imprecatory Psalms because we mentioned that early on. And these are some of the Psalms that, uh, people will read sometimes and feel a little uncomfortable. Well, very uncomfortable reading. Yeah. Um, because the, the idea of imprecatory psalms, imprecation, imprecation uh, if I think I'm saying that right, is to call down curses or calamity or judgment upon our enemies. And there are several psalms that are, are very severe in this. Yeah. And so maybe you could walk through some of those uh, just like you did with Matthew there. Yeah. Well, let me just back up and make one quick comment. So with regard to Christ, we would expect to see Jesus' teachings and Jesus' examples if they're, if they're teachings and examples that are intended for people other than just Jesus to be reflected in the lives of the apostles, for example, and we do. Mm-hmm. We see them both exercising grace and mercy towards wicked people, and we also see them calling for judgment. And I'm going to share a couple passages uh, a little bit later on in our podcast today. But to the point of imp- uh, imprecatory psalms. So yes, imprecatory psalms. When when someone when someone prays, Lord, judge my enemies, judge your enemies, bring them calamity, bring them judgment. That's imprecation. That's when we are praying against. We're praying for the downfall of our enemies. And there's many psalms actually that are imprecatory psalms, but perhaps the two most well-known psalms include Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, which I would encourage my listeners to read on occasion in their own personal devotional lives. We should be reading epistle, gospel, law, prophetic words, psalm, you know, wisdom literature. We should be reading from all the different genres of literature to help us understand the fullness of God's counsel. But in Psalm 69, I'm not going to read it all here, but in Psalm 69, it's essentially, if you if you open your Bible and look at it, it starts off with a request for salvation. So the psalmist is struggling. He, he requests salvation from God. He does not claim to be perfect. In verse 5, he acknowledges his own imperfection. So here we have a righteous man, but not a perfect man, a righteous man who's also a humble man. Then we have a statement in verse 7 of Psalm 69 where he talks about the reproach, the challenges that he's experiencing, but he makes sure he's very clear that he has received these things for God. Mm -hmm. So again, we don't want people. So there's people out there, they say, I love Jesus, but they're just not nice. They treat people poorly. They have a, a history of broken relationships. They can't get along with folks. They hop from church to church. They're just generally ornery kind of nasty people. And then when they experience challenges in life, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not suffering for Jesus. You're suffering because you've been foolish. You're suffering because you've mismanaged your life. So again, I just want to make that clear because I don't want people using the imprecatory Psalms to call for God to judge your enemies when 
the solution is stop making enemies unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. So in Psalm 69, verse 7, it's very clear that he had borne reproach for God. So then if you hop down to verse 22 and following, there's several statements there where he's calling upon God to curse, to judge his enemies. He talks about blotting them out, making them desolate. So we have a whole cluster of of requests that the, the psalmist is making to God to kind of come down hard upon his enemies. But what's critical is if you look to the end of the psalm, verse 30 and following, he's calling for all to praise the name of the Lord in light and against the backdrop of God's justice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is really important for people to understand. We don't pray imprecatory prayers against people just to make ourselves feel good or because it makes our lives easier because we should be willing to suffer even to the point of death for Christ. But it should anger every faithful man and woman of God when God's name is being abused, blasphemed, when people are complicit in societal injustice, when people are destroying the creatures that God created, etc. So when we pray imprecatory prayers or psalms against our enemies, and notice I use the word our, we only do that if our enemies are legitimately God's enemies. Mm -hmm. So that's the more important thing, that we're praying against God's enemies. But of course, if we have faithfully served God, as the psalmist claims he has in verse 7, then we're also praying against our enemies. But they're not just our enemies. They're our enemies because they're God's enemies. Mm -hmm. So this is important. We, we have, as redeemed stewards of the earth, a representative mantle that's been placed upon us. We are representing the purposes, the plans of God into a lost and broken world. And to the degree that we are taking hits, blows, slaps on the cheek for Christ, again, not for our own foolishness, not because we have unlikable personalities, but for Christ, then yes, we're going to pray that God's, mm -hmm. God's name would be vindicated. Mm -hmm. So this is what, what, what we could say is a vertical, a vertical psalm in that it's, it acknowledges the abuse that the psalmist was experiencing, but really what he's doing is he's concerned in his righteous anger for God's holiness. Mm -hmm. right. that's, and that's a sign that he's obviously spiritually mature because most of us, the first thing we go to is this offends me. This is a problem against me. Not, yes. not noticing and being personally offended or being uh -huh. aware of God's righteousness being violated. Yeah. God's name. I mean, that that's something that the Lord needs to, and, and there can be a fine line there on not in the mind of God, but in our own minds as to, when I'm when I'm angry at something that's going on in the world, am I angry because I'm very much concerned about the holiness, the beauty of God? And I, I am angered that anyone is performing an injustice or blaspheming the holy name of God or, again, destroying babies that God created or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Is that my motive or is it just because I didn't get my way? Mm -hmm. So this is where we have to really, imprecatory prayers should be preceded by personal prayers asking God to help us to truly understand our motive mm -hmm. as best as we can. 
So that's important. Then we have Psalm 109. I want to just go there for a little bit. It's a similar layout. So it's a similar layout, right? You know, the first couple dozen verses, there's a request for salvation and so forth. But I want to just read on the podcast here, verse 26 to 31. This is really important. The psalmist, after having prayed for judgment upon God's enemy, says, Help me, O Lord, my God. So my God, God is his personal God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. So he, God, the, the writer wants no pats on the back for his own efforts. He wants the enemies of God, when they are judged by God, to know that it was God that judged them. So this, again, is a mature vertical mindset. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be cloaked with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, listen to what he says, with my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. So again, his concern is that God would receive praise as his enemies are judged. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. So here we have the psalmist praying for judgment upon God's enemies, but so that God's name would be praised. That's why we pray that God's enemies would be silenced or judged. That's why we pray for these things. And at the same time, in accordance with the, the instructions of Jesus, we pray for repentance. We pray for forgiveness. We pray that God's God to be gracious with our enemies. Mm-hmm. Both of these things are true in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, and th- we've heard this one about so many issues, they'll say things like, okay, I, I get that's what they said in the Psalms, but that's Old Testament. That's before Christ came. And, you know, it's not, it's descriptive, not prescriptive, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, how would you respond to that? Well, first of all, if that's true, um, many, many people who say that, uh, the, the imprecatory Psalms, for example, aren't relevant for the modern church. Well, they don't necessarily apply that to the rest of the Psalms, the Psalter. They do it because they feel uncomfortable. They have a reduced, minimized view of love. They have a reduced Christian ethic that boils everything down to being nice, essentially. And while God does call us to, to love our enemies, and love is critical to the Christian faith, it's not the only expression of virtue in the Bible. So, If you look at the New Testament, what's interesting is the New Testament has examples of imprecation. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, right near the end of 1 Corinthians, just a couple verses from the bottom, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come, let him be accursed. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 22. That's an imprecation. He's calling for God's enemies to be cursed. When Paul was harmed by someone in the early church, his name was Alexander. He was a coppersmith. That was his occupation. You know, there were no last names. So it says in 2 Timothy 4, 14, Alexander, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. This 
is a veiled imprecation against Alexander the coppersmith. By the way, you got to feel bad for Alexander that his name's eternally recorded in the word of God as a bad example, right? Mm -hmm. Better not to be mentioned than to be an eternal bad example. So it's not true that imprecation is reserved for the Old Testament, as -hmm. people say. Mm -hmm. That actually also belies a false teaching that says the Old Testament is irrelevant, that somehow it's old means it's defunct. Mm-hmm. It's, it expired. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like old milk. It's past its expiry date. All of scripture is God breathed. Obviously we're contextualizing some of the legal codes, civil le- legal codes for Israel, let's say, we're, we have to contextualize those, but there are also customs and different um, cultural customs in the New Testament that we are enculturating or, or trying to figure out how they apply directly to our environment because it's it's a different time and different circumstances, et cetera, that we were, we're ministering in. So both testaments contain passages of scripture that are a little more difficult to one for one apply from the ancient world to the present, but all of scripture is the word of God. We should be preaching and teaching it all. I don't just preach epistle or gospel. I preach Psalm. Mm-hmm. I preach wisdom literature. I preach. I preached on Sunday from yep. Micah, a, a prophet. And we preach Torah and we preach law. We preach it all appropriately with solid exe- exegetical know-how and employ all our, our hermeneutical principles in light of the genre and background and context and cultural aspects. I get all that. But this notion is just the Old Testament. We can't be dismissive of the Old Testament like that. And even if you were to dismiss, you know, cut out all the imprecatory Psalms from the Psalms and say, oh, poo-poo, we don't like those. We're not into those. Well, you're going to find this similar kind of language in passages like mm-hmm. the ones that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're described like a both and theology, right? We have yeah. both these thang- things uh, for prayer. And so you're saying... We pray for the salvation, really, and the destruction of our enemies at the same time. Kind of this, we pray for both. Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay. Now, people, for some reason, this makes people feel very uncomfortable. It makes them very uncomfortable. But let me give you several examples in Scripture pertaining to other theological subjects and ethical subjects where we hold these things in tension. It's a both and. So... People are like, well, how can I possibly pray for the salvation of my enemies and for the destruction of my enemies? Well, you do. That's the call of Scripture. We pray both for their salvation and for their destruction. We pray both of these things so that God might be glorified. So if we're praying for their salvation, that's not for us. It's for God's glory. Mm -hmm. If we're praying for their destruction, that's not for us. That's for God's glory. This is the reality of eternity. The reality of eternity is that some will be damned and some will be redeemed. That's the reality of eternity. Mm-hmm. It's the reality of eternity that one could say we're reflecting in our prayers in the moment, that some will be damned and some will be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And be, be, beyond this, even this issue of praying lovingly for the forgiveness of our enemies, for the redemption of our enemies and against them, let me just give you other examples in Scripture where these aren't contradictions. These are just things we hold in tension. So, for example, we pray that God's kingdom 
and his purposes would be done now. This is the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we also wait for the full manifestation of God's kingdom and his rule when the world is judged and we're in the eternal abode of God with all the redeemed. So there's both and. We're not just looking for our exit door, looking for our escape plan to the next world. We're praying for God's kingdom to be manifested in this world. And we're also acknowledging that the full manifestation of his kingdom is in the eternal um, plans of God. Another example is we we believe that God is sovereign, you know, as reformed thinkers. We pray that God is sovereign. We believe that God is sovereign over, for example, the salvation of every single soul, that he is sovereign over that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we hold in tension the fact that we are instruments used of by God. How can they know if we don't preach? How can they hear if we don't go? So we have this tension. God is absolutely sovereign, and we are his instruments, and we have a responsibility to evangelize the world. Go and tell the world. This is the Great Commission. These aren't contradictions. They're just they're 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 the it's part of the tension of both maintaining a high view of God's sovereignty and responsibility of the church to evangelize the world. Another example of this, think about the character of God. God is loving, merciful, kind, and he is wrathful. He is a judge. He will strike down the wicked. He will break the teeth of, 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 of the wicked. We should never problem with that. These, both of these things are true of God. We endure suffering. We're called to endure suffering. This is another tension in our personal lives. We're called to endure suffering, but at the same time, we were called to alleviate suffering. So if a widow or an orphan is suffering, we don't say, well, you know, God says you should suffer and, you know, carry your cross and it's all going to be good for you. So we're just going to let you suffer. We're going to, we're just going to kind of overlook you. You know, like in, in India, the, the caste system, the Dalits, the untouchables, they're outside of the caste. People just overlook their plight and their suffering because it's like they're considered subhuman. Oh, well, it's just the gods that put you there. No, we, we don't have that mindset. We both endure suffering and we seek to alleviate suffering. And so these things are all points of tension. You don't pick one or the other. You don't form a new denomination and say, well, we're the denomination that believes in the sovereignty of God. We don't therefore do evangelism. And then another denomination says, no, no, we do the evangelism. We don't really believe in the sovereignty of God. Or, you know, you don't have a a denomination that says, well, we're just going to suffer for Jesus' sake and take a beating. And others, well, no, we're going to go out and alleviate suffering. These are both ands. Mm -hmm. We both, we do both of these things. We believe both of these things. And so in the same way, if you're not comfortable with tension, you're not going to be comfortable with scripture. You are called, and I am called, to love our enemies and to pray for their downfall. So if we have a prime minister, a premier, a police chief, a mayor that is doing wicked, we pray for their salvation, we love them, and we pray for their downfall. Mm -hmm. We pray that they would be judged. Now, here's what's cool about this, Chris. Ideally, imprecations should lead to repentance. So we should be public about our imprecations. I I think it would be a good thing, just as a citizen is about to commit a crime, if they're threatened with jail, they're like, "Mm, maybe I should rethink this. 
Maybe I shouldn't break into that store. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't kidnap this person because I'm aware that there's punishment attached to this potential crime I'm about to commit. So in the same way, what if we were more overt about it and said, hey, we want the prime minister of Canada to know. We want the president of the United States to know. We, we want the local senator, the congressman, the MP, the MPP, the magistrate, the MLA, the mayor, the police chief to know we love you. We are praying for your salvation. We are praying that God would forgive you. And we are praying for your downfall. We are praying that God would judge you. And we, God will judge you, if not now in the future, if you don't repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ and stop contributing to wickedness. See, a lot of, a lot of churches, they have such a, reduction, a reduced theology mm-hmm. of prayer and a reduced theology of the holiness of God. They love sending the letters and sending out the tweets and sending the checks and thanking officials and contributing to society and you know, trying to play the role of almost the, the partner. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're partnering with society. We want to be, we want to be salt and light. We want to be known as good people, righteous people mm-hmm. in culture. And actually what we're doing without also preaching judgment into culture is we're making them think that we're okay with all of their decisions. Mm-hmm. And we do want to have as best as possible a good reputation with outsiders. But I want our prime minister to know that I love him and that I want him to get saved. And I'm also praying for his judgment. And I'm also praying for his downfall. And I'm also praying that he would fail if he does not uphold the righteous principles of God. I want him to hear both of those things from me. I want mayors and police chiefs to know the same thing. I love them, but if they're going to mess with God, if they're going to destroy God's creation, if they're going to overturn God's laws, if they are going to bring destruction onto future generations of Canadians, I want them to fail. Mm. And this isn't some immature kind of prayer that somehow I benefit from. In fact, really, I don't benefit from this. I I don't benefit from it. God benefits from Mm. it. So it would be nice for us to do more of that. Especially in the day and age where there's a hate speech laws that are getting tighter and tighter, that kind of language might get you in hot water. (laughs) Yeah. With regard to that, I think the the mindset we should have as Christians when we hear hate speech laws and Bill C-4, which basically declares the scriptures to be a myth, who cares? I, I don't care. My preaching, my teaching, my biblical posture doesn't change one bit when I'm threatened by evildoers. It doesn't change one bit. I don't scrub my website of sermons mm-hmm. because I'm scared that the radical left is going to find something I said that could send me to jail. No, I, I just, I literally don't even care about that stuff. I am called, as are all Christians, to preach the truth in love, but truthfully, not some imbalanced, lopsided, squishy, lovey-dovey view of God to the exclusion of God's wrath and justice and not some God that wields a big old hammer and just smacks people on the head and is wrathful and ju- and, and um, vengeful without being loving and merciful. It's both and. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's really 
what a good father is supposed to be like, a good mother is supposed to be like. It's what a good magistrate is supposed to be like. The magistrate in Romans 13 is one that both rewards the righteous and meets out wrath upon the evildoer. They're just they're supposed to reflect the characteristics of God. God rewards the righteous and he meets out justice upon the evildoer. And if we all know that in the end, God will do that, he will judge the unrighteous and he will reward the righteous, who are righteous, by the way, because of the finished work of Christ, then why do we have such a big problem in including that paradigm in our prayer lives? Mm -hmm. That God would reward the righteous and that he would judge the unrighteous. We're basically just praying eschatologically or according to the patterns of our eschatology that God rewards righteousness and he punishes unrighteousness. The magistrate rewards righteousness and he punishes unrighteousness. We pray that God would bless and save and redeem our enemies. And we pray that God would break their teeth, that God would judge them, that God would blot them out for his honor and for his glory. So imprecatory Psalms are essentially about God's justice, God's holiness. Personally, when we're offended, yeah, our posture should be prayer, love, forgiveness. But we don't let people mess with God. Mm -hmm. And if people are messing with God to the degree that even we are representing him and taking heat because of it, we pray for the downfall of our enemies. Mm -hmm. I wanted to take a, we're, well, we're just about finished, but uh, there was a couple of news stories that came up in the recent past that I thought you'd be I would like to get your comments on. And one is out of, I believe it's New Brunswick. Um, I believe they had limited access or had given permission, as I understand it, to grocery stores to limit access to only vaccinated people. I don't know. Did you hear about that one? Yes. So, yeah. So as I understand that, and it's hard to keep up on all the legislation, but from, as I understand it in the province of New Brunswick, they didn't say you couldn't go into a grocery store if you weren't double vaxxed, but they said that the grocery stores have the right to deny access to people who are not double vaxxed to buying food. Mm -hmm. So people kicked up a big stink about that because there's, I mean, what's more fundamental to human existence than your ability to eat? I mean, shelter is really important. Having a job is really important. But you could go a little while, presumably without shelter or a job, but you, you have to eat basically every day. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, that's been overturned. It was mm -hmm. reported in the news. Mm -hmm. That's I, a good thing. I but know. it should have never happened. I mean, it's ridiculous <laughs> that it even happened in the first place. Yeah, it's, it is. It is really ridiculous. It's interesting how the line keeps pushing further, but it's, you know, the, the illustration of the boiling frog or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But there is... It, it does seem to me encouraging. There's a few people that are like, okay, this is like, this is too far. Yeah. The problem is it might be too late in some ways. Right. But uh, also out of Quebec, I think it was just last week that um, they've now mandated vaccine passports for all churches right. as well, right? Yeah, so, and there's some faithful churches there. My friend Scott Dakin, he's um, taking a stand and there's, there's others as well. First of all, the evangelical population in Quebec is exceedingly small. Mm -hmm. It's, it might, uh, I, the, the fact checkers can check this out. It might be the smallest evangelical population of any state or province in the Americas. 
in in, in North America. Mm-hmm. Very, very small, very, very few evangelical churches there per capita. And um, the Catholic church, though, is historically been huge, but they've sort of bowed and buckled to the system. So this this is a pretty significant statement. I'm I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed why more godly, righteous Christian leaders don't speak truth to power, to speak truth mm-hmm. against these kind of edicts. So it's commonplace for denominations or groups to come up with position papers. Well, we, you know, we're going to have an internal communique that says to our churches, yeah, you don't have to do this or we'd recommend you don't. Well, that's fine and dandy, but the government doesn't read your internal correspondence. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to speak truth to power, Mm -hmm. to not just have our own positions as churches, but to speak truth to power. I think a lot of Christian pastors, even when I observe what's been going on over the past several months, they don't speak truth to power. I've seen, so so for example, I've seen um, three pastors, maybe more, that have posted on their social media, boosted, you know, got my third booster. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, I don't really know why you're saying that. Like, who cares? I don't really know why we need to know that. It it seems, best as I can tell, either some sort of an encouragement to your church to get the third jab or some sort of posturing to the state that you're compliant, that you're kind of on side with them, there's something like that in there. We would call that virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. But um, I just, I don't see, and, and I know these guys, many of them I've known for several years. I don't see them really ever, ever speaking truth to power, mm-hmm. to the abuse of power. They, they might write articles on the subjects or dialogue with their buddies about what they're going to do and not going to do, but they don't speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you and I are buddies and we have someone that's been attacking us and we just kind of get together and say, Hey, Chris, can we agree that, you know, we don't like this guy. Yeah. And can we agree that we're not going to allow him to negative influence? Yeah. And can we agree to, um, you know, stay buddies, even though we're being attacked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't even know the conversation that we're having. He doesn't know that we're going to resist him. He doesn't even know that we don't like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He never hears anything from us. He just assumes that what he's doing toward us is fine. Mm-hmm. And this is the failure of the modern church. We literally don't know how to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. We, we just it's, it's foreign to many Christians to actually declare to government officials what you're doing is wrong. Even though, to use the example I used a few weeks ago, of Elijah, he went right to Ahab and confronted Ahab as a prophet of God for abusing his power and stealing Naboth's vineyard. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is this was considered a righteous act mm-hmm. for the, the prophet of God to speak truth to people in positions of power that are abusing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that actually reminds me, uh, and many of our listeners will know this week marks one year since you were first fined. Our church was first uh, ticketed, I guess you could say, for holding public worship services. Right. Um, quite a quite a year that we've had since then. I yeah. know that initial 
initial service um, was definitely speaking truth to power, uh, explaining that they don't have authority over the church, over the gathering of the church. What's interesting is that many of the officers we've talked to have, in essence, Agreed, but yeah. <laughs> they, but essentially said, well, they haven't necessarily said as much, but uh, the, the indication has been for many that, well, just got to go along to get along right now. And, you know, mm. I guess maybe they're praying these tickets get thrown out or whatnot, but yeah. we have no idea what that, uh, what that holds. Is there any updates on court cases just for our listeners or are you still like in the system? Still in the system. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was December the 20th. That and I'm just illustrating this. So, so many people have taken a stand now against tyranny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, though, and, and in fact, there were some churches that were more public in their opposition earlier on, mm-hmm. maybe more known. I, I think it's true that there were a couple of churches out west that the, like the church body was had received some tickets, maybe even before I did, for lack of compliance. I'm fairly certain I was the first pastor in Ontario, and I'm fairly certain I was the first pastor in all of Canada to be personally charged, really in the history of our country, which is an interesting quote-unquote claim to fame, yeah. for resisting tyranny. That's not to, to puff myself up, but it's to illustrate the fact that when it happened, it was kind of big news. And then it just kind of went from bad to worse, where... You know, other churches, church in Elmer, church in, in Waterloo, literally got to the point where their, their buildings were, were seized and locked up. Three, three uh, Christian pastors in Alberta were, were tossed in jail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like daily um, one guy in, um, uh, in the Maritimes that was jailed briefly. So I was one of the first out of the gates, but it's almost like, eh, whatever, it's just happening all the time now. Now, fortunately, we've had a little bit of a reprieve. There hasn't been as much of that. But my concern is this Vax passport stuff. It's so stinking political. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't just like implemented across the country early on. Every province, I know this for a, for a fact, the provinces, the premiers in particular are looking at the population, they're polling the population. And when you got the lefties and the liberals and the, the statist churches putting out podcasts or statements, either asking for it or saying we're okay with vax passports, well, <laughs> that you're just signaling to the government, bring them on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, did, I did a podcast with... Um, Tony Costa there a few weeks ago and I and I called out, you know, a couple guys in the Baptist Fellowship here in Ontario. Uh, Dave Barker in particular that, um, you know, goes to a church in, in Kitchener that is questionable mm-hmm. in terms of its doctrine. I mean, they basically open the Lord's, if you read their statements, it appears they open the Lord's table to anyone, even regardless of, quote unquote, their sexual orientation. But... You can't get in the church without a vax pass. Now, their excuse is, well, we rent space. So, you know, what can we do about it? But then in the podcast he did with Bob McGregor, it's like indicating that he's okay with that. Hmm. Would actually prefer it, would feel more comfortable. So when when people like this air their beliefs, they're actually doing potential damage 
to all other churches because if you start getting more of these senior leaders who I think are good men in many respects, giving the, a tip of the hat to Vax passports, which, which are, frankly, I don't even, I don't even know what, what language to use without seeming too harsh. They're, they're disgusting. They're just, mm-hmm. they're unbiblical in, in every manner of thinking. Mm-hmm. That the notion that any pastor can, it's just unbelievable. The notion that any pastor can say to another Christian, you are not allowed. So you're a, you're a healthy Christian. Mm-hmm. You're physically healthy. You are not allowed to come and declare worship to the King and King of Kings and Lord of Lords who purchased you with his own blood, who calls you to worship who commands you to worship, you're not allowed into the church with the gathered community of saints to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because you don't have a certain concoction that's been injected into your body. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. The quarantine laws of the, of the Old Testament are very clear. I understand banning someone from worship while they're, they have a communicable illness, but you can have a healthy person. You can have a person that's overcome COVID-19, has natural immunity. Mm-hmm. You could have a person that has a three-minute-old PCR test. You could have a person that just stepped out of a plexiglass bubble for the last year who literally is not is being told by some of these people, you're not allowed to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because you're a threat to others. And the, and the, the joke about all, the joke in all of this is <laughs> you're a threat as an unvaccinated person to people who are already vaccinated, mm-hmm. which is just complete nonsense. You're basically saying your vaccines suck mm-hmm. or you're demonstrating you just have a confused mind. Uh, the notion of saying that to someone who who can't come in is is reflective that you don't even understand the, the medical technology you're exposing yourself to. Uh, or you're just you're just virtue signaling. You're trying mm-hmm. you're you're part of the coercive efforts to get people to do and make the same decisions that you made. Mm-hmm. Like why why is that necessary? I don't I don't speak ill of people who choose certain medical procedures. If you are vaccinated, single, double, triple, you're welcome to worship with us. I have no right or responsibility or authority to ban you from worship if you're not vaccinated. You're welcome to worship with us. If you're sick, stay home. Um, anyway, I addressed that more fully in in Tony's podcast. And I called these men to repentance. I don't mind yep. saying that. I called them to repentance. And I called out their the foolishness and the ignorance of comparing vaccinations to things like fire codes. That's just mm-hmm. it's a, that's an such a nonsensical argument. It's actually it's an embarrassing argument, actually. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is yep. the stuff that's going on. We're braced for that. We've gone on record. We we will not uh, enforce vax passports in our church, mm-hmm. and we will speak. We will continue to speak truth to power. We're not going to hide. We're not going to scrub our websites. We're going to speak truth. Uh, you know, come quote unquote hell or high water. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to continue to speak truth. It'd be nice if more people would do the same. But over time, Chris, hey, you know what? Let's just leave a little word of encouragement here. In the end, lies will be exposed. I have absolute, absolute confidence that 
our position in response to the government is the biblical position. I have there's not even a question mark in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done the right thing. Those that have sinned against the body of Christ by leading their people into fear, by denying the practicality of resurrection hope, by putting unbiblical restrictions on people to worship a living Christ, they will repent or they will be exposed to be false teachers mm-hmm. uh, or they will limp into heaven and have to give an account for sinning against the Christian church. And so will the prime minister and the mayors and the premiers and all that sort of thing. In the end, we win because Christ wins. We're on solid ground. This is black and white stuff. It's it's not even gray anymore. It's black and white. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're, we're more confident than ever that God is building his church and that he's transforming people's lives. And, and we're excited about that. This is, this is a great time to be alive and to do ministry for all the hardship. The Lord is doing a wonderful thing. And we know he's going to continue to do a wonderful thing. And we want to finally wish all of our listeners a, a Merry Christmas. We hope that you have large family gatherings, that you meet with lots of people, that you bless people, that you have good food and drink, and uh, that you're able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonder of the incarnation and God with us. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for the podcast today. Thank you for taking a bold stand for Christ over the last year and his church. And just a reminder to our listeners, you can catch this podcast on the CJXC radio station online, 11 a.m. Tuesdays, 11 p.m. Thursdays, as well as over on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, where we have our podcast on their app. You can download that, get lots of great Canadian podcasts from our friends over at the Ezra Institute or the Rebel Network. Great uh great episodes there to listen to as well as some of the american ones you can pop uh in and check those out so make sure to subscribe uh to the podcast if you haven't already hopefully you have if you've listened to this and and uh ending to the podcast a few times you've now subscribed and you've rated it given it a thumbs up and uh we will see you here next week for another episode of leadership now with dr aaron rock